Psalm 40 on page 566. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all desire my ruin be turned back in in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, The Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For those of you who don't know me, um, my ministry is as an army chaplain. And whatever you might think or see in the films, when we go away on ops, uh, whether it's peacekeeping or the more kinetic kind, a lot of time is spent sitting around waiting. And it can be quite boring, waiting for the RAF mostly. Uh, The film Jarhead perhaps uh, portrays the boredom quite a lot. I'm not recommending it to you, but it does if you watch it. So we have a saying in the military, hurry up and wait. And during that downtime, soldiers might dwell on events that have happened. Mates killed or wounded on a patrol. They might think about stuff at home, the things they've done, the sins of the past. They might have some deep questions. Who am I? What are we doing here? Where am I going? Can I find forgiveness? Questions right at the very heart of verse 12 of Psalm 40 there. Will there be an end to all of this? Can I be rescued? 
So there's no surprise when we go away on ops or the longer exercises, more soldiers attend um, church parades. They're thinking of verse 12 questions. They seem to grasp better than most civilians, even perhaps people in church, that the answer does not lie in our human understanding or ingenuity, but in God. And part of what this psalm is saying is that if we want our desires met, we must first lift up our eyes. Stop thinking about ourselves and worship God, and then you will find the deepest desires of your heart met. So here we find ourselves with this psalm. David is in some kind of trouble. He's feeling overwhelmed. He's surrounded by troubles, overtaken by sins. His many sins are getting the better of him. And yet he says, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. Literally, waiting, I waited. He waited on God in hope and expectation. How did he wait? Well, in worship. The imagery of worship runs all the way through this psalm. So notice David gave this psalm to the director of music. And he's saying, this psalm is is not just for me. It's not simply my prayer diary. It's for the whole people of Israel. They must learn this song. In fact, because it's in our Bible, it's for everyone. You see, sometimes what we believe just isn't enough. Having the right theology sometimes isn't enough. Coming to church isn't enough. We need to build that bridge between our head and our heart. And the chief way that we do that is through worship. Worship, that's how waiting we wait and do not lose heart. So three things to pull out. Remember the story, sing from the heart, long for the king. So firstly then, remember the story. David has this problem, but that's not where he starts. If it were me, God would get a whole list of my troubles right up front. But David doesn't get to that until verse 12. He's come to realize, maybe he's come to this conclusion the hard way. He's wallowed around in his problems for too long. That's what we do, isn't it? We have a problem. We bring it to God. He might even be the first point of call. That's good. But often he's not the first point of call. We've gone to friends, we've gone to family, we've gone to the self-help books, and then finally we try God. Coming to God, that's good. But the thing is, we put our problem first on the agenda. That's not good. David has realized, if we're going to be people who have some sense of hope in the midst of the storms, then we've got to start with the story of God's past faithfulness, to be hopeful about our future. Start with thanksgiving, and if we're going to make it past lamentation. And so he takes his eyes off himself, and he looks to God and his faithfulness. How does his story intersect with mine? So in the past, says David, God has rescued me from the slimy pit and mire. He's put my feet on a rock. But God is far bigger than that, as we read in this psalm. You see, we hear glimpses of the exodus, God's rescue of his people from Egypt. It's even bigger than me, says David. So he uses the word proud in verse 4, and it's the same word in Deuteronomy 15 which describes Egypt. The wondrous deeds, or the wonders, I think, in the NIV of verse 5, is the same word in Deuteronomy 15 which describes God's rescuing of Israel. You know, through the plagues, there are the wonders being referred to there. In verse 9, the deliverance, the saving acts, the Red Sea. 
So David is looking back at the story of God's rescue. The Israelites would have picked up on those little references. Looking back at God's faithfulness, and he begins to worship. And he finds hope, and he finds strength. Waiting, I wait. Because first I looked back and remembered God's goodness. You see, whether we like it or not, whether we're religious or not, we're all listening to a narrative. We can listen to the world around us and we can lose hope. So the rise in interest rates, high inflation, wars, rumours of wars, there's enough in this world to make us lose hope at the moment. Or we can listen to God's narrative, see his goodness, his power to rescue and save, and in him find hope. I hated history at school. My history teacher, who was a Christian, Trevor Elkington, he used to try and get me interested by reminding me that history was his story. Well, it didn't work, but he was right. If we are to find hope, we need to remind ourselves of God's story. And that's what David does, verses 9 through to 10. I proclaim your saving act in the great assembly. I tell all the people of all that you have done. Remember the past. Secondly, we need to sing from the heart. St. Paul, Ephesians chapter 5, don't get drunk on wine. That's what we do when there's troubles, isn't it? We turn to the alcohol. Well, maybe not you, but some people do, particularly in the military. Don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord. And that's not a suggestion. It's a command. Sing. And God's not saying that because he wants to be entertained. Sing to me. Juggle. Tell me some jokes. He's not saying that because of that. He knows the power of music to strengthen our hearts. And he knows the temptation of our hearts to sing another song. So if we're not singing God's songs, we'll sing other songs. If we're not listening to God's narrative, we'll hear the narrative of the world around us. If we're not praising God, we'll praise something else. So you see, God puts a new song in David's heart. And that means there must be an old song. I drive an electric car now, and I often find it just relaxing driving in the quiet. So I don't put the radio on that much. But in the past, or occasionally now, um, the four hours back down south for me, or the three and a half hours back home for me, I get bored listening to Radio 4, and I put some music on. And sometimes it's Christian music. Sometimes there'll be some Queen, a bit of Blondie. I'm giving away my age here. Kate Bush, Bon Jovi. Whoa, we're halfway there, whoa! And I'm back there. I'm back there at uni. I'm 20. The sights, the smells, the sounds, all there. Most people up on the dance floor, not me, bopping away with their arms in the air. I'm sitting at a table with my mates drinking a pint of Coke. (laughs) You believe that if you wish to. You see, music bridges that gap between head and heart. The music has taken me somewhere, back to my past. Worship takes us into the presence of God. The old song is what our natural heart goes after. We look to those who are maybe successful and proud. In Isaiah's day, Israel looked at the other nations. Egypt was a proud nation. Even then, it was a superpower. It offered um, Israel military help. There's the temptation for them. For us, the temptation as we look at the superpowers today is to be afraid, China and Russia. Or we listen to the song of personality or celebrity, and look where that's got us with Trump and Boris. Or we listen to the song of money, of power, whatever it is for us. 
whatever we think is going to make our life better, we listen to the old narrative, which actually brings emptiness. So Putin listens to the old Russian narrative of power and ruthlessness. Peter the Great, he looks up to him. And look where that's got him, actually. Most of the time he's afraid. He sits at the end of long tables or he hides away in the Kremlin unless the danger comes to Moscow and then he hides away somewhere else. At some point he's going to die. He can't hide from death, but he's got no answer for it. What's your old song? What would your heart naturally sing about? Because we all live by some narrative. And if we're not listening to God's story, we've got no real hope. And that's what David is saying. Don't go back to the old song, the old narrative, the old way of thinking. That will just leave you empty and depressed and hopeless. So when I was in parish ministry, church folk, they would suffer a bereavement or something of that ilk. And it would sadden me, they'd pick up the phone and they would say, look, I can't come to church, vicar, on Sunday. I just can't face it. And I'm thinking, no, that's precisely when you need to be in church. David says, sing a new song, worship God. How great is our God, how great is his name, how great is our God, forever the same. He rolled back the waters of the mighty Red Sea, and he says, I'll never leave you. Put your trust in me. I picked that one because it spoke of the Exodus. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. And if that's you, thank you for being here. You're very welcome. Uh, Maybe you're a new Christian. You don't yet know the whole story. I'm not talking about the songs now. You can begin by humming it. Gradually you'll pick up the words. I'm talking about the words of Christianity and and, and those words will start to live in you and they'll become a part of you. God's story becomes entwined with your story and becomes a part of your life and forms your worldview. Make that connection between head and heart and when you're going through troubles, look up and worship. Because when we sing in worship, we praise what we love and when we praise what we love, it deepens our love for what we praise. Worship strengthens the heart. It lifts the heart and the soul. It brings God's story into our hearts and transforms how we think about the situation we're in. It brings us hope, God's hope. It reminds us that he is in control. So if we're going to wait patiently and not lose hope, we need to sing God's story. Not just remember it, but sing it back to him. Sing to each other and sing into our hearts. But thirdly, long for the king. Most of this psalm, it's in the singular. I, me, my. And yet this one person's life is significant for a great many people. So he tells the whole assembly. We see it in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth. Many will see and fear the Lord. Verse 16. All who seek you. So I don't know, maybe this psalm was uh, used at David's coronation or as um, its anniversary, the trooping of the colour kind of thing in their day. So verses 6 through to 8, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. King Saul, David's predecessor, knew all about sacrifice. He was diligent in them. 1 Samuel 15, he goes through the motions of sacrifice, but he insults God with a disobedient heart. And the prophet Samuel gives him a stinging rebuke. Rebuke. To obey is better than sacrifice. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king. And David is chosen to succeed Saul because David was a man after God's heart. 
And David says to God, you have opened my ears. And it could be there, David is referring to the mark of a willing slave referred in Exodus 21. A servant has been working for six years, maybe to pay off a debt. And after six years, he's been given his freedom. But the servant might say, look, you've been a great master. I don't want to be free. I want to work for you. I want to live in your house. And as a sign of that, his ear is pierced. Maybe that's what David's saying. I am your willing slave, God. I know you don't just want sacrifices like my predecessor gave. I am your willing slave. I will live my life for you and your people. I will declare your works to the great congregation. On the other hand... It could be translated, you've dug out my ears. You've taken all the wax out. I can hear you now, clearly. I know how you want me to live, and I will live this life out between the great congregation. It doesn't really matter. It gets us to the same place. And then the scroll. That's what was given to the king at the coronation, 2 Kings chapter 11, the scroll of the covenant and the law. And David is saying to God before the people, here I am. I know your laws and I will serve you and serve your people. And elements of that, uh, they were in King Charles's coronation. Our people in this land tend not to realize just how much of our ceremony and all that stuff is there in the Old Testament. So this person, this king's life, is significant for the whole nation. But it's clear as the psalm goes on, that's not the whole story. David's got his problems. Therefore, the nation of Israel has problems. King Saul was expected to pass his crown down to the family, but God has rejected him as king and chosen David. So when Saul dies, there's a war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and those troubles continue for many years. Maybe that's the troubles David refers to in this psalm, or maybe it's the other troubles between the Jebusites and the Philistines and all the other surrounding nations. But anyway, he's remembered the past, he's sang God's praise before the whole congregation, and now he brings his prayer to God. And the interesting thing is, at the start of this psalm, he's waiting patiently for God. But look at the end of the psalm. Verse 17, God do not delay. Or verse 13, come quickly, Lord, to help me. So this is not so much hurry up and wait. This is I'm waiting patiently, but hurry up. What is it? And I think it's both. There's a godly impatience here. And the key lies in verse 7. Here I am. I have come. That's incarnational language. Christmas language. This patience or impatience is born out of a longing. So when we're going through trouble, when the world is as it is, when sickness comes, whatever, when we despair, we know this is not how it's meant to be. And we know we're not the people we're supposed to be. So our anguish is all about longing, longing for a different world, a different culture. And as we sing to God, our hearts are raised and there's this, this longing for more. Lord, come quickly. I want more of your presence. Do you see what I'm saying here? As we are lifted up heavenwards in our hearts, there's that longing for the promised land. Now I've spoken of the incarnational language. We've seen this psalm talks of one person's life which is significant for the whole nation. We've seen how King David promises to live as God's servant, proclaim God's message, obey his laws. David, of course, was flawed. He sinned. He wasn't perfect. But Jesus, 
the son of David, was perfect. He was God's suffering servant. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. No, God wants perfect lives. Jesus did that. And then he sacrificed himself for our sins so that our greatest trouble, the punishment we face for sin, it's no longer there if we believe in Jesus. So our new song is about Jesus. We sing the good news. We allow his story to become a part of our story and our lives get lifted out of the mire as we think on the cross and hear of our forgiveness in Jesus so that we are placed on the rock which is Jesus. And we find our security in him. And we know that whatever troubles we face, our eternity is secure. And like those in Revelation, we cry, How long, O Lord? Come, Lord Jesus. And he who has the scroll says, Yes, I am coming soon. But two things as we close. Worship speaks of God's worth. So first of all, we are acknowledging our weakness. I am poor and needy. Only this great God can help. And secondly, if God is worth our worship, we won't be able to keep quiet about him. We will have to tell others of the great things God has done. See, worship is not just about what we do in church. It will spill out in our lives and our words to those around us. We'll be singing that new song as we live our lives. We want them to know the joy that we know. Amen.